With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's the Anfield Wrap on Radio City, talking Neil Atkinson, Gareth Roberts in the noisy chair. How are you getting on, Robbo? Oh, it's doing me. I didn't make the back's gone on this chair. It's squeaking like a squeaky door. Someone needs to lend us some uh, WD-40. Other brands are available. Uh, and, uh, I'll sort it out. Yeah, are we, other brands available? <laughs> I don't know if other brands <laughs> are available, yeah, to be honest yeah. with you, Ian. Yeah, I presume the, there is. There must be, like, you know, I don't know, Poundland version. Uh, who knows? Uh, but don't don't text in um, <laughs> if you do. Uh, we'll move on. We'll move on in ignorance in our knowledge. It's Neil Atkinson, I said before. Gareth Roberts got Josh Sexton and Ian Salmon here for this one. In part two, we're going to be joined by a new band called Lilium. Uh, we're having a chat about what they're up to. And also, I've got Nick Illingsworth worth from the Southampton fanzine ugly inside coming in part three but before all of them that the proper football's back the Reds are back and what Nick are they in um Josh you because we oblige you to in the office uh you keep a very close watch on a Jurgen Klopp press conference and it was fair to say that today's was more about doing jokes than actually sharing any real information I don't feel any the wiser about what Liverpool's starting 11 is going to be against Southampton yeah but also dismissing uh speculation about players that might be on the move which was uh the sort of the sort of highlight for me. I th- I don't know if I needed that reassurance, but but I, I like I, I like the fact that I had it. So yeah, um, but no, it seems Lalana will be the only sort of big absence from the game. So positives and negatives in that in itself, but. Yeah, it doesn't. He's 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 keeping his cards close to his chest, Gareth. Uh, that's one of the things that I take. He's very much keeping his cards close to his chest at this stage. And he's right. I mean, that that that's. I'm I'm bang into everything that Jurgen Klopp's doing at the moment. I, I almost think you know I'm reaching the walk on water stage. Like everything he does, I'm just watching it, nodding, going, "Is right, Jurgen Klopp?" Because you know this is another thing, isn't it? Why why does he have to give anything away? I mean, he's almost okay. He's obliged by by the fact that there is a press conference every week so he's got to sit in front of the media and say something but that doesn't mean he has to say anything if you know what I mean so he doesn't have to give anything away he doesn't have to tell the opposition whether what kind of Nick Coutinho and Firmino are in or have to fly into the other side of the world he doesn't have to tell them what kind of Nick Lallana's in keep them guessing you know that used to be part of football that like you kept the team under wraps and you didn't you didn't give anything away and then all of a sudden we had this new culture where you were getting you know, the team texted to you on a Friday night. I, I preferred the clock version. I think uh, keep things tight, tight to your chest, make it a secret, surprise them. And I think there could be some surprises in the in the lineup this week. Um, you know, I think we could well see maybe Sturridge. I'm sure we'll come on onto all this and think we can see changes in midfield. But again, I'm, not, I'm sort of not bothered. I just think the Reds are flying. The manager's great. Everyone feels good. And his quotes in the, in the press conference today, like Josh said, he just he just smoothed everything over. They asked him about Coutinho. He was like, Coutinho's enjoying his football. Make it hard for him to leave by winning things. Common sense. Sturridge, he said, came back with a smile on his face, and that's a good thing. He's, he's happy to be back. He's knocking that one on the head, you know, after Darren Lewis wrote his piece in the mirror saying he could go. So he's just boxing everything off, and I'm sure he's going to box his three points off. Uh, I, that, well, I said we'll find out how bullish Gareth Roberts is, and the answer is very. Um, that is always the way in which this works. But I mean, Ian, there isn't. Uh, firstly, it's easy to be. It's easy to give a lovely press conference and be relaxed when you are top of the league. The fact yeah. is, there is a bit of a question I think hanging over the manager this weekend in terms of his approach. And I'm, I'm, what I'm driving at is this: 
all season, he's not looked like he's going to compromise on the idea that if you're not 100%, you don't play. If you're not 100%, you don't play. So he's not entirely prepared to completely rule Alara out today, even though he says he's very doubtful and he's going to have a scan. He's got these lads who've come back from, from juicy, international duty with Brazil, and it feels as though it could, it could still go either way there. There's a couple of other little question marks around, around a couple of his side I'll come on to in a second. But my point is, you know, will, will this be the weekend where he, where he compromises that, or will he instead go, you know what, as Gareth's sort of insinuating, I'll just trust that any of the set of lads that I could put on the pitch will be able to do the job that I want them to do? I think completely the latter. I think he's been extremely pragmatic all the way down the line. And his his approach has always been, I'll play out the best team to win the game at the time that the game happens. If that means that Firmino's had a rough flight back and his legs don't feel like really working and Coutinho's done 80-odd minutes and he doesn't fancy trying the two of them after the flight and after the game, then maybe he won't. And Lallana looks obviously the most doubtful. But also, I know you're going to move on to the debates about the performance from last year against Southampton as well that might influence them. I think he's just going to look at it and go, which 11 lads are going to win this game for me? But last season, I want to, I want to sort of ask this one on Lovren and then go to you first on this, Gareth. You know, last season he makes a big call at halftime there when he subs Lovren and in the end, it looks like the, the wrong call. Liverpool go on, they lose the game 3-2. Uh, Skirtle's not great when he comes no. in, if we're all honest about it. But he felt as though Lovren was getting too emotionally involved. I'm intrigued as to what he does this weekend because Lucas starts against Watford. I thought he played really, really well. It, it wouldn't be unreasonable for him to retain his place full stop. But it does seem as though it's been quite clear as far as the manager's concerned that the first choice back to a centre-halves are Matip and Lovren. That's the way in which he's yeah. Doing it this campaign. What do you expect him to do? Do you think he's now had more time with Dejan and have a look at that, and he'll just think he, he backs this lad? He's seen him, for instance, respond to adversity against Crystal Palace, or do you think it'll be something else? I think it'll still be love. And I think I think now he's much further into his his reign. He's had more time with these people. He knows the characters. He's been able to look into their eyes and see what they're all about. And you're right. He, I think he did think he was losing his head a, a little bit that day, and there was maybe other things going on in his head, and he didn't think he was right to so hold him off. So he'll make decisions like that. That that's one thing you can say about. Klopp is that he is decisive he's not scared to make decisions he's not scared to throw kids in if he thinks are ready and, and, and so far you know most of those decisions have looked right so yeah I, I think we'll see I think we'll see love from play I don't think he, he'll be too concerned about you know Southampton fans getting into his head this time around because it's you know it's a, it's a year on I mean it's worth remembering as well that that game Liverpool in general just looked goose second after he ran out of steam um, it, it came at a different stage of the season as well it, it didn't come where they'd had a a clock pre-season under the belts like they have this time around as well. Uh, you know, you could perhaps say that the squad wasn't as strong then as well. So, I mean, one of the key things for for this weekend as well for me is, I mean, in the it, it's almost I think we almost tell ourselves stories. So, so you know, you look at you're looking at it and you're going, oh no, Liverpool after international breaks haven't been typically the best, have they? In fact, what club is? So this could be one we lose. And then you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh no, Lalana's out and he's been so key to what we've been doing. But then if you it, Take a step back and move away from what you remember from the past and think about this actual team. So Lalana can't play. Vanaldum comes in. Great. He's been all right, hasn't he? And and not and also that. and also we haven't been great after international breaks. Will we beat Leicester four yeah, four yeah. one after one? Yeah. This season. So yeah, that's what I mean. So it's, it's almost you're telling yourself old stories as to why why we can't win it. And like with with Vinaldum as well, I think a key thing is that I remember Klopp saying some time back. I think it was last season. He talked about how. If you haven't got competition for places, true competition for places, that that players obviously can get complacent. That you know it'll be in their heads. You know, even if they're thinking about it consciously or subconsciously, they'll be thinking, 
well, this is my place in the team. And even if I don't play well, this is my place in the team. As things stand now, every single player knows that they could potentially lose the place. And that's a really good thing. So Vinaldum could, could go in there on Saturday and think, well, hang on, I've got to play better here. I've got to score. You know, he's, he's off the mark now in terms of scoring. And that was one thing he was supposed to be bringing to the side that we maybe haven't seen enough of. You imagine he's probably disappointed with that himself. So... To me, I've built it up in my head that Vinaldum can come in for Alana and have a blinder because he wants Alana's place and he wants to show everyone what he can do. And that's it's a great thing to have that kind of competition with places. It's key to the way Liverpool have been playing, I think. OK, next thing along, uh, the news this week, uh, Josh, before we get back into more upbeat territory yet again, and this is pretty upbeat as well, uh, Gerard's leaving LA Galaxy and it you do wonder whether or not, you know, there's lots and lots of talk of him coming back in and that he wants to be involved back in Liverpool, Liverpool's setup, and it it, as ever, there's a, you know there's a lot of nonsense around Gerard. It does feel as though Gerard's more than happy to be involved in any capacity. It's not the idea he's got to come in and in any way do anything sort of big boots. It's that Stephen Gerrard would just quite like to still be involved in football at Liverpool. Yeah, and uh, and he's he's said this week that he, that he doesn't want to just have a sort of passing role. He wants to have a meaningful role, which can stand. He, wa- he wants to have a career in football at the end of the day, whether that's coaching, managing, whichever way he looks at it. But uh, Robo Robo's said a lot about Gerard. He's also wrote a piece as well as a. Uh, as well as a Facebook Live. And That's why I wasn't like going to him first, mate. <laughs> I'll come to him last. No, but um, no, I, I, I think it's a massive positive. I think if you can get Steven Gerrard back in the club, if you can have that opportunity, then you get him in wherever you can. So I'm all for it. It, it strikes me as, you know, it's it, one of the things that's not spoken of, I don't think enough, not just about Gerrard actually, but about a lot of footballers in the late 20s and as they move into the 30s, Ian, is that just the simple arithmetic of the fact that many of them will be genuinely intelligent men, and I yeah. think Gerrard's quite consistently come over like that, certainly as he's you know as he's moved into his late 20s, being able to sort of relax a little bit more, relax his, his public persona a little bit more, that, you know, you can't you can't have too much intelligence knocking about the gaff is what I'd think. No, you can't have too much intelligence, you can't have too much inspiration. I, I genuinely, I don't get the t- Twitter hordes who think having Steven Gerrard back at Liverpool is a bad idea. This is a man who, in terms of service to the club, is in the top three players of all time. He's he's probably second only to Kenny in terms of players that play for the club and how he served us. If you bring Steven Gerrard back in, who's already doing his coaching badges, and you let him coach the under-18s, or you let him assist with the first team... And he's learning from Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp is going to be at Liverpool for seven years. And if you've got somebody who is learning from Jurgen Klopp, who has already been one of the greatest servants the club has ever had, who's being trained to be the next part of the dynasty, it's dynasty building, it's it's rebuilding the boot room, it's the most sensible thing you could possibly ever do. Here's a lad who could manage Liverpool, no problem at all. We looked at them when they were playing and went, okay, one of our next managers is going to be either Gerrard or Carragher. Carragher's clearly not going to be the man that's going to do it because... He's got his punditry role. Gerard is ready to go into coaching. He's going to learn. Do you think that's, this matters, though, Ian? Like what I'm trying to drive at here is: Do you think it, like if he does it for a bit and decides he just quite likes being a coach, is that a bad yeah, thing? I mean, no, this, no, this is what I'm driving at. I think the idea that we've got to sort of say he's definitely going to manage Liverpool next. I actually feel a bit sorry for him. It might be that he just simply thinks he can he can help with twenty year olds. I don't want. I almost don't want Liverpool to put the weight of the world on his shoulders if, again. If Stephen Gerrard is the next Steve Highway, then that's as exactly. good as anything. He could be anything he wants to be. If he is, if we're building a dynasty, if, we've th- if we're thinking long-term planning, he's learning from the best person he could learn from. And in seven years' time, we're not looking for a new manager somewhere in Germany or Italy or some- somebody up and coming from the first division. We're looking at somebody who's already in-house. And it could be anybody. It could be Leginders. It could be 
um, Buvac, it, it could be anybody at all. But if you've got Stephen Gerrard learning, there's that potential there. If he's the next Steve Highway, that's great. If he's the next Ruben Bennett, that could be a fantastic well, that, thing. That to me, this is uh, Gareth, and I know you've written a lot about this, and this, this is this is one of the things here. Is I like, I'm really pleased that he's actually used the words Ruben Bennett. There it is that it is the idea of just having someone around the place. It doesn't it, it doesn't need to be that complicated. It's not that hard. It isn't as though he's it, there's some sort of you know uh, yellow brick road he's got to follow necessarily. No. It's more. Let him be himself, and you know, if anything, I'm, I'm almost loath. I want him involved at the club. I'm just loath to put loads and loads of onus on him because we've we've done that too much. It's for a man who everyone says has got this massive ego, and people say things like Stevie Me. He never wanted to go and be Liverpool's record scorer, which he could have done. He had the talent. He wanted other players to prosper. He's you know he's quite a, a complicated character, yeah, Gerard. And one of the reasons why he is a complicated character is he's an intelligent person. And yeah, he's a thinker. Yeah, he, he is a thinker. He is a thinker. And uh, whilst he plays football like a man of action, or he played football like a man of action, and sort of one of the things that we can do for him if he comes back. Into the club is almost square the circle of the sort of person he wants to be and help him with that as much as anything else. Yeah, and, and that's a key phrase, help him with that, because I think something that sometimes goes amiss in this debate about whether Liverpool should do something with Steven Gerrard or not, or whether they should, as so many people put on the internet, move on. He, this is a lad who spent 26 years at Liverpool, you know, all the way through from being a kid to being a man. And I just think, you know, above all anything else, It'd just be a nice thing to do to have Steven Gerrard involved in Liverpool, for Liverpool to go to him first and say, OK, we know you want to take the next step in your career. Do it at Liverpool. I mean, I see people saying, you know, let him go elsewhere and, and, and get his badges elsewhere, and it's not like he's ever going to say no to Liverpool. But no, let, let it be at Liverpool, because I just think it's a nice thing for a lad for he- from Heighton to be involved at Liverpool Football Club. I mean, there's people lower down the chain at the academy that won't be household names to... To, to to a lot of people out there, even people who support Liverpool, I'm thinking that there's a coach, for instance, at the academy called Tom Culshaw. He played football with Gerard. He's from Heighton, similar age. Didn't make it though. Didn't make it. Didn't go through. Didn't go and play for, for the first team. But what he did do is go went went away, got his badges, learnt about coaching, learnt learnt about football and education. And he works at the academy. He's got a nice job at the academy. You know, he can pass on a story. He can say, "I did this. I did that." And I just think from a you know from a development point of view, that's a nice thing to hear. I mean, there was a nice story this week, slightly went under the radar, about Adam Morgan, about how he's now getting his yeah. football at Cairns and Ashton, and about how he's having to start again in his football life, if you like. You know, he's fell off a cliff, got rejected by Liverpool, um, dropped down the leagues, didn't work at Yeovil, um, his head got into a bad place by his own admission, and now he's trying to have another go and work his way back up. But what I really liked about the interview that James Pearce did with Adam Morgan was that he said... He had Inglethorpe on the phone to him, saying, are you okay? Yep. Are you all right? And that that's the key thing for me. You know, you don't just reject these lads and go, that's it, they're gone. The, the, if you, you know, want to build a football be, club, this is part of it. Yeah, the emotional side is part exactly. of it. And, and there should be aftercare there. It should feel like a family. I mean, I hate the LFC family thing that I see sometimes, because it's almost turned into a corporate phrase. But... You know, there should be that type of feel about it. It's a club, by definition. It's a club. Make it feel like one. Okay, this is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. After the break, we're going to be chatting away to Lilium, and then after that, we're talking to someone from the fans, the Southampton fans, in ugly inside, uh, and then we'll be back talking about the Reds. Don't go anywhere. That was Disco 2000 by Pulp. This is Neil Atkinson with the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk, and I'm joined now by Lilium, as mentioned at the top of the show. I've got Sam, Emma, and Andrew in front of me in that order, going left, left to right. And let's let's talk about the fact that you're a band who are coming out of Liverpool, but not initially based in Liverpool. So I'll go first to you, Sam. What 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 precipitated the bold move from Cornwall to uh, to the wonderful city of Liverpool? Um, it was probably a number of reasons actually, but mainly I think Andrew. We had. Um 
a personal connection with uh, Andrew's brother already being based here. This is probably a better story better coming from him. But, um, <laughs> Go on, Andrew, fill yeah. your boots. Uh, so, yeah, we were in Cornwall University, and we started, we're studying there. And my brother, uh, Serge, had lived in Liverpool for, I think, like 10 years at the time. And he'd always said how great the city was. And I always wanted to go there and visit him, whatever. So I decided to move up because, obviously, the music scene as well. Thought as it added, but you moved all of these people up as well with you. Well, Sam came with me. Sam came with you. The band sort of disbanded at the time, uh, and it was just me and Sam. But I was more excited to go to Liverpool, study something new. Uh, I studied popular music, so the Beatles and all that, and really got a feel for the culture of Liverpool. And um, then we just sort of went from there. Emma decided to move up to Liverpool this year as well to <laughs> to study. Yeah, and I'm really enjoying it. So you, so you've moved to Liverpool as well. Yeah, just. And yeah. was it for the band or was it for the studio or was it both? Uh, both, but more so for the band. More so for the band. <laughs> yeah. I like this. I like. I like uh, internal migration uh, into towards <laughs> Liverpool. I'm very into it across the UK. And so Sam, you've 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 got yourself um, you've got yourself a deal here through Deathly Records. You've got the the launch coming up next week. You've got. It feels as though you've you know pulled the band together. You have got Graham in as well. So it's it, it's all moving well for Lillian. Yeah, yeah, it's going well. The launch is um, is next Friday at Kitchen Street, and um, we're playing with uh, with God on my right, Etches and um, and Owls. So it's a nice kind of Owls collection of bands. Yeah, I haven't yeah. Had God on my right, but Owls are good. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a really good night. But um, yeah, it's kind of it's come together kind of like in the last few months, I guess, with joining Dathy Records. They've done a great job kind of moving things forward for us because we kind of came up here. It was you know being out of town, as I guess it was like you know, hitting a new scene that we knew had such a great reputation, but it was it was always a bit daunting. So now that we have this kind of support, it's really great, and it's kind of, we're getting to experience more of it as well, so it's just, it's all around good times, pretty it, much. It's an interesting <laughs> sound. It's an interesting sound, Sam. I'm, I'm actually, now that I, I understand that you've actually come into Liverpool, I can sort of, it makes a little bit more sense to me as to how you've, you that this doesn't sound like a conventional Liverpool band. You don't sound like a conventional Liverpool band. That's not, not a good thing nor a bad thing. It's a neutral thing. But it's very, it's quite a rich... Uh, proggy sound, isn't it, more than, than people might expect. Don't laugh, Emma. I've got to use some words, you know what I mean? It's the radio. Go on. Yeah, I mean, that's like, um, we usually like to go on what people say to us after shows, kind of after hearing the music about, you know, what they thought it thought it sounded like, because we've had a few kind of interesting comparisons over, over the, like... Over which ones do you like and which ones don't you like? I always love to ask bands this. What's um, your, what, what part of the record shop do you want to be in? Come on. Man, it's Emma. Emma's got to take that one, Emma. Emma, what, Emma do, you like? what, so what do you like? What don't you like? What, well, what, I like the prog um, description. You like the prog description? Yeah, I love prog rock. What don't you like? Um... Pop. <laughs> you don't like the pop description? Maybe not so poppy. You don't want to be the pop description? No. When people mention influences, which ones do you like to hear and which ones do you think, oh God, I can't believe someone said that? Influences, Jeff Buckley, Pearl Jam. You like the Jeff Buckley one? Yeah. What ones don't you like? Um... Come on, this is your, your just have to slag someone have off. Have we had bad, like, comparisons? I don't, I don't know, think I you think. were too keen on the Wild Beast one. Oh yeah, we got Wild Beast, but then, yeah. You know what? You know what, Emma? I yeah. can't stand wild beasts. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly can't stand wild beasts. So made up you've said that. It's, it really feels like when you get into certain company and people talk about them and you, I just sort of sit there quietly for a while and say nothing and then find that I'll almost explode as, what, what, why? Why are you people doing this to me? So the the title of the single is Disappear and it's out on Monday the 28th. It's on Deathly Records. Uh, all of that information is there. But you're very excited about this show at Kitchen Street, uh, Andrew. You're very, very excited indeed. And it, it should be a belter uh, next Friday. Yeah. Um, so as Sam was saying, we've got like a mix of bands 
um, some Liverpool, and then uh, etches from Manchester. I think. I think. So, yeah. But yeah. Other than that, everyone else is uh, from Liverpool, so it's gonna be like a bit of a merging of sort of scenes and tastes in that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really really looking forward to it. And is there anything else lined up the other side of that? Have you got any dates lined up for the new year, or are you looking to get some lined up? Oh, uh, we're looking to get them lined up now, aren't we? We're yeah. looking into uh, festivals and that. Um, there are quite a few uh, Liverpool festivals actually. There are those to loads. Liv- um, Limp is one. I really hope we can get on Sound City or something like that. Yeah, threshold as well. We're kind of yeah. looking ahead to those. Oh, you're very threshold actually. You need to you need to look into that one. Yeah. You should push that one hard. Speak to your management. Uh, see what they can box off for you there. Uh, okay, then I'll give you all the details again one more time. It's on Monday the twenty. So the the, the the singles release disappeared on Monday the twenty eighth. We actually played it on our sister show, The Rider, uh, this week. It's on Deathly Records and it's available for digital download. Uh, and then from there, uh, there's also the event on the Friday the twenty fifth at twenty four Kitchen Street. Uh, Twitter.com forward slash Lillian Band L I L I U M Band UK. It's deliberately difficult. I can barely even spell it. Uh, Facebook.com Lillian Band as well. Uh, all of that stuff coming for you. Um, stay in touch let us know what else you're doing when you've got other dates we'll give them a shout out yeah it's like, it's like up here in the tower it's nice isn't it yeah it's, it's really nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Let's go take some pictures this is the Anfield Wrap <laughs> on Radio City Talk uh, we'll be back after the news with uh, well, with more talk about what's going to happen at Southampton at the weekend don't go anywhere yep from Ugly Inside Fanzine I'm joined now by Nick Illingsworth uh, and Nick has been watching a Southampton side well firstly the Liverpool managers said they're a very good side this season and whenever I've seen them this season and I've seen more of Southampton than you might expect Nick and I, I've been really really impressed with the football that Southampton play to me it looks like a very good football team is that fair? Yeah it's uh, changed a lot since last season under Ronald Koeman we were a very good side but we played in a more flowing game and uh, and it was all about getting the ball forward a lot quicker uh, this season's changed a bit. It's a more of a European way, and in many respects, you could compare it to the Liverpool side of the mid '80s, where they used to keep possession a lot and knock the ball around at the back. And that's what we do. We keep it going, and then suddenly burst forward with pace. The the the. I mean, I've been impressed with a number of players, but I'm going to sort of rattle through them. The fullbacks, because of the way you play, when you mention bursting forward with pace. The fullbacks do have to offer a lot of the width, and both of them, but especially Bertrand, have done a really good job, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're blessed with left-backs in the fact that we've got Ryan Bertrand, who, who I think is probably the best English left-back in, in the country at the moment, judging by what I've seen playing for England. Uh, we've then got uh, Matt Target, who was, up until recently, the young pretender and, and backing up Ryan Bertrand, but we've, we've recently got Steve McQueen, uh, Steve McQueen, not even Steve McQueen. I hope that they nickname him Steve in the dressing room. I would like that. Uh, Sam McQueen, who ostentatiously was a left winger up until the summer, but Claude Pugh was converted into an, an overlapping fullback and has been, you know, in, in deputising for Bertrand, has been superb. Uh, so we're blessed on the left side. It's... It is, a, you know, it's a nice embarrassment of riches there. It's, get, it's going to be the, the, the challenge for them with them. I mean, I'm interested, you mentioned all three. Is they're all, you know, they're all under 25, aren't they, Nick? And, you know, he's got to get them all time on the pitch to develop because they are all such, they are all sorts of genuine talents. And it isn't even as though you play a proper left mid. He can't really put one in front. He's got to, he's got to pick one and keep them developing. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, as you say, we, we tend to have a central trio flanked by the, you know, the two wide attacking players. Uh, so uh, we, we we don't really switch much in that. We keep that going. Uh, you could play one of them as an attacking midfield 
player or, or attack a stroke front three wide man. But, uh, you know, you, you've got an abundance of riches there as well with, you know, the option of uh, Dusan Tadic, uh, Sofiane Bufal, who's just signed. And uh, then you've got uh, uh, Jay Rodriguez coming back from injury. So we, we've got an abundance of talent there already. So, yeah, it's it's hard fitting them in. Luckily enough for us, our fullbacks don't tend to seem to be able to keep fit, if that's <laughs> lucky is the right word. So we, we've had plenty of chances. He's not had much of a look at Bufal so far, considering the fact that it's a club record fee. He's, you know, it's, it's, it was a big signing for Southampton. It's a big signing, full stop, £16 million. £16 million. But Bufal hasn't, he hasn't featured that much, nor has, nor has Holberg. Instead, he seems to have gone with a lot of the lads who, who were there before he arrived, which I think is in and of itself quite interesting. Redmond, for instance, has featured a lot more. Yeah, well, well the first thing about Bufal is Bufal was injured when he'd signed. He'd, he'd done his knee in last April and, and had missed the end of the season in France. Right. And when he signed, he was injured. So his first game of the season was only a few weeks ago. So he hadn't been fit at that point, And they've been bringing him in gradually since because he'd had no pre-season. Yeah, uh, so with Bufal, it, it's slow but sure. You know, if, if you look at the stats, you think, where's he been? He hasn't played many games. But the reality is he's only been available to play in the last sort of three to four weeks. So, And even then, he's not fit. Hodgeberg's a, a, a funny case, actually, because, you know, he's, he's a talent. And when he gets the ball, he's exciting to watch. He's quite solid and, and seems to be a more attacking player than the other three in the, the, or the other options in the midfield trio. But, again, we've got a good, solid five players for the central Midfield, so Hosberg's tended to be used in cut, start cup and Europa League games, and been used as a sub in the league. And and the the three that he's gone with, and then it's in front. Tadic especially seems to have a bit of a free role. It it can be a diamond sometimes. It can be four three three. But before we talk about Tadic, because he's such a lovely player to watch, he's gone with Classy Davis and Romeo. And Romeo's the one who to me is has been very very impressive in terms of just how how much he seems to win the ball back for Southampton. He seems to be you know he's very much the driving force in midfield there. He does sit deepest, but he's very aggressive in terms of picking the ball up and and winning it off people, nipping in just to intercept. Yeah, definitely. I mean, last season, Rome, uh, Romeo, uh, he, he sort of was in Victor, Victor Wanyama's shadow a little bit. Uh, he, he was always looked good when he came on, but when and he had plenty of chances because Wanyama spent most of, or a good third of last season either suspended, getting suspended by being sent off or sulking. So uh, he had his chances, but it. This season, he stepped into Wanyama's shoes, and if there's one player in that central three that you say plays week in, week out, it, it is Romeo. Then Stephen Davis is Mr. Dependable and, and gets picked, and then from the other, the third role, you've got the choice of Classy, who is okay, he's good. I mean, he's, he's perhaps the lesser, uh, one of the lesser players of the five, but I, I like him. You've got James Ward-Prowse, who's threatening to become the next England big thing, but not quite doing it. Uh, and, uh, of, of course... Uh, Holberg. Holberg, who we've spoken of. Yeah, 
And moving forward, then Tadic again, you say who definitely plays, Romeo definitely plays, and Tadic definitely plays. And where he plays, I think, suggests the sort of shape. Because I've seen you at times this season, and it looks like Austin and Redmond are a bit of a front two, with Tadic sort of floating in behind. Then other times, it looked like Redmond might be a little bit wider, and then Tadic a little bit wider. There's loads of flexibility, isn't there, between that between those three? And Tadic sort of plays that halfway role between a midfielder and a forward. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's where the, that's where the shape changes rather than change, you know we we seem to play a solid back four as such with albeit pushing the fullbacks on we we play that solid central midfield midfield trio that pan out a little bit now you know normally it's a front three as such with with Tadic and to be fair they, they seem to be shoehorning Nathan Redmond into a central role where really it should be Charlie Austin, because Austin hasn't got the fitness to get up and down. Um, but as you say, that three is a little, it's the front three, which are the fluid uh, part of the side. You can drop Tadish back to come into a more four-man midfield, or you can push him up more more up front to keep it a, an attacking formation. So, uh, what What do you, you know, think he'll do against Liverpool? Who Tadic? Yeah, what, what, do, what, you know, what do you think Puel will do with with, with, the, with the shape against Liverpool when when we come on Saturday? Uh, I think it, it, if there's one thing, he'll start it fairly, fairly robustly, as he has done. Now, the trouble we've got is we've got a lot of injury problems because the, the man we haven't mentioned is Shane Long, who last season was probably our, our best player. Uh, or our best attacking player, certainly, and he's been out injured for a while, so I don't think he'll be fit Saturday. Tadic got his uh, nose bust in midweek against Wales. So there's some doubt whether he'll play or not. Um, it, it, it's quite nice. interesting because he uh, he made certain statements after the, after the game saying that Serbians are not soft because he played on with blood everywhere and the normal screwed-up anky up his nose, it seems prevalent <laughs> these days. Uh, but this talk of him wearing a mask and this talk of him that he might not make it, uh, he's, he also mentioned that his, his family were ready to jet over to Wales to fight the person who'd done this to him. It was all very stirring stuff. So, <laughs> given he's not soft, uh, he might well play. Should he be fit and play, they'll play Tadic, Redmond and Austin yeah. as the as the three players, and they'll start them with Tadic, I would think, in a, at, at a more deep-lying role. Uh, and this is where the only little bit of flexibility goes, you know, because you would think that they would play Austin as more of a wide man because he's got the pace, and there are those that think that he's better suited than that, given that Charlie Austin is not the most mobile of players um, to play out wide, and he's bigger and taller. So I think that, that I think they'll go with... Assuming everyone's fit, um, the real the real issues in the side are, are that is Tadic going to play and it, who will play it right back? Well, there it's a difference. It's a question between uh, Suarez and and, and uh, Martina who's been filling in for him. Um, and you know, the, Martina's done a perfectly good job, but he's also got those two centre halves next to him. And just to sort of wrap this up with you, Nick, you know, it's, I want to talk about those two centre backs. There's a lot of talk about Van Dyke, but I think whenever I watch Southampton, I think Fonte's a marvellous player. Um, you know, I think Van Dyke, he's he, for me, and you, you feel free to disagree. I think he he looks terrific right up to the point he makes a little error. Uh, whereas I think Fonte is for for a couple of seasons now for. Southampton just being a terrific servant. 
Well, well, there's two, there's two things on that. Firstly, I'd love to agree with you, and and uh, if you can tell uh, Jurgen Klopp that, uh, so that it stops him making a move from in January <laughs> next summer, I'd be quite, I'd be quite <laughs> pleased. But I think the reality, having watched Virgil Van Dyke over the last season and this season, yep. I think in the last couple of games he has got caught a little Van Dyke. But in fairness to him, we've been it's been in games where we've mixed and matched a bit with the side and we haven't quite had it. Fonte is a great player, but overall I think it's Fonte or Font. it just change depending on what month it is, a little bit how his name's pronounced. But I think with Font, he is uh, prone to the odd little error or two. I would say that Virgil van Dijk is the best central defender I've seen in the Premier League in the last year. Don't say uh, it too loudly then. Far on. on. <laughs> okay. Uh, I love that so sort of big talk. But wish for that. I don't, I don't want that being repeated. And I... <laughs> In Liverpool, uh, I don't want to see Jurgen Klopp down at the training ground next week with a pair of binoculars in a tree. Uh, but Virgil Dijk is the best kept secret in the Premier League. Oh well, if John Stones is fifty million. Van Dijk's a hundred million. <laughs> All right, Nick, what's your prediction then for Saturday? Uh, I would love to say it's going to be three-one to Saints, but I, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, if I go with uh, with my prayers, which I've been obviously on my knees a lot praying this week, I'd say 4-3 to Saints. I think it could be a 2-all draw. Uh, all right, a 2-all draw or a 4-3 to Saints. Huge thanks to Nick. Uh, let's find out what everyone else thinks. Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Gareth Roberts, Josh Shexton and Ian Salmon with you now until half past seven. I uh, hope you're having a lovely evening and we're all looking ahead to the weekend when the Premier League football's back. And, you know, I, I before uh, before you gentlemen arrived, I actually interviewed a chap who supports Manchester City. And what was really interesting was straight away he was saying about how he concerned he is about Liverpool. And, Josh, for the first time, I can think of for a while, it isn't this idea that Liverpool are either plucky upstarts who are doing something unlikely or grinding away and getting results. It's that other sides the genuinely is a bit of a fear factor there not just from Liverpool's next opponents but also looking around the rest of the division they're all thinking to themselves good lord what are these lads going to do yeah and I think that comes from the way Liverpool playing at the moment but also the way that the the time that Klopp's had now to instill his sort of philosophy and you've got the new manager you've come in in summer like Guardiola and Conte who've, who've got off to reasonably good starts or good starts by their own admissions um, but they've not had the time that Klopp's had to settle in and uh, and it was mentioned before about Klopp's pre-season. Once he's once he's had that, he's had the time to make his effect on the squad, and, you, and we're seeing that now. We're seeing the results of that. It's it's interesting to be, you know, as I say, it's not. But there was a period where Liverpool, I think, in 0809, for instance, I think Liverpool are the best team in the country that season. United pipped them to it. That happens sometimes, but that was a great side. And yeah. I think 13-14, you can make a really strong argument with the best team in the country. But Manchester City just kept going, and fair play to them for that. It's quite strange to actually be at this stage in November, genuinely battling for the tag of who's the best team in the country. It feels like. Us and Chelsea are going head for head for it at the moment. Maybe someone else will come and snatch it off us, and and, and they'll run away with it. But the way the league's going this season, it does feel like a battle between the best team in the country and not the idea that someone's going to snatch something by default. Yeah, it, it feels like a proper fight for the title this way this season, doesn't it? It feels like there's a definite challenge there, both on our part and obviously Chelsea after a Arsenal, bit of Spurs, still Man City. It yeah. feels like a real scrap. There, there are some really good teams out there, and obviously we're not mentioning United because they don't look anything like the real deal at the moment. Um, but we are 13-14 I thought we were the best team in the country for 
probably four to five months and, and we were caught out by the weakness of the squad and what we've got this season is we've got the squad we've got the options we've got the lads on the bench who aren't as great as he was against England, Iago Aspas, or as great as he seems to have become for Chelsea, Victor Moses. Um, these two players were the best we had at 13-14 to change things, and they weren't good enough. We have now got lads on the bench who can come on. You know, the fact that we can't get Daniel Sturridge in the first team, we've got lads there who can come on and can make a real difference to the team. And I think that's what really raises us to the next level of that. And obviously Klopp's philosophy, the brand of football he wants to play, the fact of the, the possession he wants to play, the speed that we're moving at, the, the fluidity we've got all over the pitch. I think all that combines. I don't think it's even a battle for who's best team in the country at the moment. We are the best team in the country by some distance. I think I think the key thing that's being talked about there, the underlying thing, is, is, is the squad again, though. I mean, me and you, Neil, had a conversation in the office this week about... You know, oh nine uh, about when when Liverpool played Arsenal at home four four, and you know chasing the game, trying to win it, they're bringing Naval Elzar off the bench. I mean, yeah. you know, and then United at the same of the same season. They, I think Liverpool used about twenty three players that season. United used thirty three. They got Berbatov, they got Tevez, they got Ronaldo, they've got Machida, Rooney, Rooney. You know, the, the, the loads of depth to the attacking. And that's what you know. It feels like that's what we've got now, even with, even with Ings's injury. And then there's obviously talk that we'll bring in one or two maybe in January as well. But I think the key thing as well is some of the kids that you know Klopp, Klopp's blooded as well. I mean, it's not so long ago that we were really worried, worried, for instance, about the fullback positions. All of a sudden now you're like, well, you know what? If Trent Alexander-Arnold had to come in at right back, I'd feel all right about it because I've seen him play now. I know what he can do. I've seen what he could do for the under-23s, but now I've seen him in a first-team setting, and he wasn't out of place. Ajari had another one. You know, it's all positivity all the time, and I think it's understandable that other teams now are looking over the shoulder saying, well, hang on, Liverpool looked the real deal here, because it matters as well who the manager is. It matters as well the identity that's being built around Liverpool. Everton, you know, the fact that I'm constantly saying on here and on other shows and I'm writing how right Liverpool feels... It won't be going unnoticed elsewhere well, that that's the no. case. Josh, this is the point of a statement of intent win. We all say we'd like to see a statement of intent win. Well, Liverpool have put a couple of them down. Our five on a, on a Saturday against Crystal Palace. Yes, they concede two soft ones, but they score four. And they look pretty unre- unplayable first half. Watford turn up the seventh in the league. They hadn't conceded in three games. Liverpool score six. These are these are statements of intent performances that do grab everyone's attention and go, aye, aye, what's happening there? Yeah, and uh, and we've had we've had the that sort of tag that you know, it's interesting to see how Liverpool do against the big teams. We've had this interesting because they usually don't do well against small teams, but we've been through all of them, or most of them at this stage now, so it's what challenge can you throw at us next because we keep overcoming them at this stage. Um, it's also as well though, isn't it, the fixtures we've had to go through, the really difficult ones. When you look at some of the, the, the teams that City have played, Chelsea have played and so on, not particularly had hard runs and now it looks like some of them they're getting some of those games coming up like Arsenal have got Man United for instance this weekend that you've seen them slip up there in the past no matter whether we think they're any good now or not it's a, lo- yeah. it's, a it's a game they could lose and that and all of a sudden they look like they're out of it so live, that's another key thing for me that we came through all those fixtures those difficult ways and we're up there now those other teams have got to go and do the same let me pick you the team and you can stop me at any time if you disagree Carrius in goal Nathaniel Kleiner right back Matip Lovren no disagreements okay no, James Milner uh, that'll be the back five for Liverpool uh, Jordan Henderson uh, the, uh, makes that six uh, Emery Chan Van Alden 
Okay, you're with me all together. Yeah. Uh, the front three then becomes the question. I have a sneaking feeling Sturridge starts this one, Gareth, that he goes Sturridge, Firmino and Mane, and he has Coutinho as his first sub, either to add to midfield or to add to attack after 60. Do you, th- do you think that's what it'll be? I think that makes sense, yeah, because Firmino was an unused substitute, wasn't he, in Brazil? And, you know, he was asked, asked about him today, and he, he basically said, you know, I hope those two lads have had a good sleep, but I haven't seen them yet, which sort of tells you that they'll be testing them, the sports scientists will be getting on to them, they'll be testing the blood and everything else to check that they are, with, they are, they are at the right level. But I think he might use it as an opportunity yet to just let Coutinho uh, start from the bench. Even though he played, eight, I think it was eighty-three minutes in the week. Um, Ian, what do you think? Do you think that'll be the case, or do you think he might he might go with his front three as he sees his, his first choice front three? No, I think I think the idea of Sturridge coming in after showing some form in the England game, obviously coming on great against Watford, great against Watford, coming on against Watford and nearly getting a hat trick. And obviously, we're talking about Watford winning six 0 and we went away lamenting the fact there wasn't twelve and easily could have been twelve against a team that weren't conceding goals. Sturridge should have a hat-trick. He could have been man of the match just for being on the pitch for 20 minutes. I think he's a lad who's played himself back into the starting eleven. Plus, obviously, Coutinho will probably need the rest. That seems most obvious. I think there's also the possibility that he might surprise Southampton by playing a diamond with Sturridge and Origi up front because he did in the cup against them last season. I might go Mane in behind. And go Mane in behind. Quite easily do that. There's, there's, he's got so many options at the moment that if you're the opposition manager, you're probably looking at Klopp and going... Okay, I actually don't know what he's doing this weekend because they're probably trying to second guess the team in exactly the same way we are and going, well, is he changing the front three? Well, it could be a 4 4 2 quite easily. Josh, I wonder if Crystal Palace away is almost a template for all away games now. He came out, he wasn't so happy with the first 10 15 minutes, the manager, but he was very happy with 15 to 35. It might be that that's what he's going to ask Liverpool to do first half against Pal- against Southampton. Yeah, and I think he liked the fact that we, that we really dug in and, and the energy was the key thing, even though it wasn't going well for us at some points. And we saw that at Swansea away as well. At times when it wasn't going well, we were still putting the miles in, which I think which I think will be key in, in a lot of these away games because it's not always going to go your way, but as long as you try in and then you and then you've almost not forcing the issue too much, just practicing patience. That's when you it's going to pay off in the end eventually. So a prediction, Josh. I'm going to go three-one Liverpool. Ian, two-nil. Gareth. 4-0 to Liverpool Excellent stuff This has been uh, The Anfield Wrap on City Talk Thanks to everyone Who's contributed to the show This week But especially Gareth, Josh and Ian As they're in front of me Right now And that sort of thing Matters uh, Up the Reds Most definitely this weekend The manager's seen Daniel Sturridge smiling And training He hasn't seen The two Brazilians yet But he's absolutely Bouncing around the place He's basically doing Stand-up comedy now The Reds are top of the league Long may that continue Sports Social Podcast Network